Well, good morning again. Okay, so we're in this, in this sermon series, uh, continuing on this sermon series called The Pursuit. And uh, just a reminder, this, this uh, series is laying out some of the most basic tenets of our faith, the foundations upon which, you know, everything else, all of our, our beliefs are, are built. Now, you might be familiar with this, with the pursuit, because we talk about it often. This is, this is the series that we go through with, with new believers often, or, or when we begin mentoring someone, um, because these are the foundational lessons of what a life pursuing a relationship with God looks like. And so we find this to be really valuable, those, those building blocks that, that everything else is, is built on. And so in, in week one, a couple weeks ago, we talked about God's desire and framework to be in relationship with us, right? To have a personal relationship between us and the God of the universe is just an amazing thing, and that's his desire, right? That's what we learned in week one. And then uh, you were in good hands with Dean last week. Um, like I said, I was traveling. So when Dean was here last week, going with him through week two, learning about the veracity of the Bible, uh, the, 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 the trustworthiness of, of God and of, of his word, we learned that the Bible is true and speaks for God. When we have when we have questions and want to know what God says about a particular issue or some, something going on in our life, we learned that the Bible is the place to go. So I want to remind you of that today. Guys, it is never my, my goal to offend you, okay? And yet God's word is offensive to the ideas and beliefs of the secular world out there, okay? That's a fact. God's word is offensive to that secular world. And there may be some things in this message that are offensive to you if you have taken on some of the beliefs of the world. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will convict some of us. And if that's the case, um, if that's the case, feel free to come and, and talk with me. Um, come and, and, and you know, bring it up with your, with your mentor. Join a small group this week and have these conversations if you feel convicted about, about some of these things. But more importantly, I want you guys to talk to God about it. Right? If, if you have questions about it, go to his word and, and find out what his heart is on the matter. That's always the way that we want to go about uh, settling these things that are on our heart. So today, we are in this, uh, oops, sorry, Larry, I did it. Uh, we're in this uh, third week of, the, of this sermon series, and today's message is called How Imago Dei Changes Everything. Now, Imago Dei is, is Latin, and it, it means image of God, meaning that we are created in the image of God. Okay, so that's the, that's the idea here. That's the, the lesson. And the, and the, the, the <coughs> excuse me, the, the big idea for this, for this lesson today, is that the core ethic of, of biblical Christianity, and that is a, a, a worldview that seeks God's will and, and guidance in all things. Um, but the core ethic of biblical Christianity has shaped entire cultures, and it's, it's impacted the personal lives of its followers and gives us answers to uh, the question of, of life's meaning, right? Now, conversely, um, a humanistic outlook or system of thought attaches supreme importance to the human rather than divine or supernatural matters. A humanistic answer is always found in mankind and, and what we can do for ourselves, but that's not what a biblical worldview uh, has. So today, as we get going here, I wanna ask you a question. 
What is the most valuable thing that you have in your life? Is it, is it a house or uh, maybe your 401k? Your baby, yeah? Might be, how about, or maybe you got vacation property on the coast, right? If so, call me. Um, maybe, you've, maybe you've got, you know, a, 19, a vintage 1953 uh, Corvette, you know, in your garage, um, you know, at home. By the way, call me. If that's the case, no. Uh, but, but it might be your family, right? It might be your, your kids or, or, or your spouse, or you might list your, your friends or, or something like that. Um, but let me ask you this as well. What do you think God would say is his most valuable creation? Us. It's us. Did you guys know that it's us? See, that, sometimes that's a little, little hard to wrap our, our minds around, Right? excuse me, that the God who, who spoke the universe into existence would list us as, as, as his most valuable creation. So why would God, who, who did all of that, why would he see so much value in us? Well, that's our first point here today. Not that. Our first point here is this. The Bible teaches that humans are created in God's image and therefore worthy of dignity and respect. Now, we all get that, right? We want dignity and and respect. Most of us have grown up in a culture that believes that every human being is valuable. But this is really more than that. This is explaining that, that simply being created in the image of God makes us something special in relation to all other forms of life on earth. Mankind is something that's, that's set apart from the animals and, and the plants and, and nature, right? So if you guys uh, have your Bible, and I, I, I hope that you bring your Bible. It's, why wouldn't we have the Bible with us when we, when we come to church and, and learn about it, right? So if you don't have one, there's some free ones back here at the, at the table, um, or you open your Bible app and follow us. If you do, we're going to be in, in Genesis 1 uh, for much of, uh, much of this morning. Um, but, you know, in, in the first part of Genesis, you know, this is the first chapter, by the way, if you're, if you're looking for it, it's the first chapter of Genesis, first chapter of the Bible, okay, so it's easy enough to find. But as we go through the first chapter of Genesis, there's, there's a few verses. This is the creation story, right? This is God creating the, the universe and, and earth and everything. And in, in verse 14, he says, it, it, the Bible says, then God said, let lights appear in the sky, um, let me see, it says, uh, to separate the day from the night. In 20, it says, then God said, let the, the water swarm with fish and other life. And then in 24, it says, then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. But then in verse 26, it kind of, it changes here. In verse 26 says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now, that, this, this word here doesn't refer to a physical likeness to God, right? The Bible clearly teaches that, that, that God is spirit, and not, not, uh, not physical and not material, right? And it's not teaching that God is some sort of an exalted human either. Um, but it's explaining to us that humans definitely reflect certain elements of God's attributes. Like we can have, um, we have the capacity to think. We have the, the capacity to, to reason. 
<clears throat> we have the, uh, the, the ability to create, to write songs, to, <clears throat> to do artwork, right? We can, we can create things. We have emotions. We have the ability to make choices, right? Good and bad choices. We have the, the ability to make choices. We can be in relationships. But that language change there from those first verses that I showed you to this one, uh, it, it goes from being impersonal to personal to signify the important distinction of man in creation. It goes from let there be to let us make, okay? Now this means that we are unique among his creation, created to represent him on earth, to rule, right? He said that we're gonna, have, we're gonna rule and have dominion over the animals and the plants and, 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 the, and the earth, and to be like him in certain ways. He's talking morally, mentally, relationally, and spiritually, right? We are, we're, we're representing God in those things. Now bear with me for just a second. As we go through... In verse 10, it refers to the creation of, of dry ground. In 12, it talks about plants. In 18, it talks about night and day. In 21, it talks about sea creatures. And in verse 25, it talks about animals. And, and there's a phrase at the end of each of these little passages that says, and after he creates them, it says, and God saw that it was good, okay? <clears throat> but in Genesis 1.31, it says, then God looked over all he had made. Now, this Genesis 131 is right after he's created people, right? Right after he's created mankind. And it says, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Now, <clears throat> guys, this is how God wanted it, right? He set mankind above all other life, and he called that very good. So not only did God see us as different or as, as set apart from the rest of creation, but he intentionally created us for that position. So that's pretty amazing proof there that, that, that there's a, a reason for us to be created for us, like uh, created and that, that we're special there. But it's strange how, how society has, has kind of adopted this self-deprecating view of mankind, right? Skipping right over the damage of, of sin and vilifying a creation that, uh, that God himself referred to as very good instead of recognizing the blessing that, that we've received. So our second point here is Imago Dei is the basis for blessing all of humanity, even those who stand against a biblical worldview. Now, you know, as we as we will see throughout this series, it's fair to say that a, a worldview that is not in line with God is against God, but a worldview that is in line with God is a blessing. See, it's the reason that we all have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You guys have heard that phrase, right? It's, it's probably familiar to, to most of us. That phrase is most recognized from the American Declaration of Independence. Now, that, that document didn't come about haphazardly. It wasn't just, you know, some creative writer, you know, being poetic as, as, he, as he wrote it down or, or without reason. It came about from a very careful and deliberate study of Scripture. <clears throat> now, maybe you've heard that, maybe you've heard this idea of uh, the United States being referred to as a, as a, a Christian nation, right? We've, we've kind of heard that a lot, um, to which I would quickly point out that it has fallen woefully short 
of being a Christian nation. Now, the, that confusion comes from the fact that much of our founding document's content was most certainly biblically based. So let's look at, let's look at this. This is that, this is that, that section um, from the Declaration of Independence, and it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So let's connect the dots here with, with this quote from the Declaration of Independence and find out what it has to do with, with God's word, okay? Because like I said, these guys, as, as they wrote this, this came from their careful and deliberate study of what God said about mankind, okay? And it was a, was a, a summary. So let's, let's connect these dots. Let's start with the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of all human life. So do we actually have a right to life? I mean, why would, why would we think that people have an unalienable right to life? Where would we get the idea that there's a, a sanctity assigned to human life? Well, we find it right here in Genesis 9-6. <clears throat> it says, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. That, that word for there that's underlined, that means because right? That it's explaining that, that these have value. He's clearly explaining the value given to life right here. Now, I mentioned earlier that we live in a culture that believes that every human being is valuable, but is that actually true? I mean, when you, when you get on, you know, when you, when you look at the, at the numbers of people that are, that are sex trafficked in, in the world or in our country, even just here in Utah, or the number of people who are abused, it's, it's kind of hard to fully believe that, that our culture accepts that every life has value. And more and more throughout the world, we're, we're seeing that, that euthanasia is being recognized as an option. When I looked on the internet to find out how many countries there were that, that um, allow euthanasia in some way, there were seven countries. But then when, and the United States wasn't listed there, and yet, Euthanasia in, in some form is legal in eight states and the District of Columbia here in the United States. Um, and so, you know, um, throughout the world also, there are people vehemently fighting to disqualify the value of life before birth as well. But you know what? <clears throat> in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says, love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And this week, we saw a huge development when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and said that there is no right to abortion. Now guys, this stirred up a lot of emotions, okay? This stirred up a lot of emotions uh, on, on both sides of the aisle here with a lot of, a lot of women feeling uh, that they have lost an important right. But that claim has no basis biblically. In fact, you might have, have even heard that that decision was driven by the controlling interests of men, but what a slap in the face that is to women who take that same position that life is sacred. The fact is, the decision was driven by the word of God. God made it very clear that all human life is precious and protected, and that each life has a God-given right to continue on. In Jeremiah 1.5, 
It says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Guys, there was a sanctity and, and a sacredness, an ultimate importance and inviolability of life even before we were born. What a, what a blessing to be recognized and, and valued by our creator from the moment that we existed. What about liberty though? Where do we find, where do we find out that, that God uh, cares about our liberty? Right now in the Declaration of Independence, you know, of course it's, it's talking about individual freedom, right? Well, we can find that. We can find that from the very beginning when we talked about, when we talked about uh, Adam and Eve. Did I just forget who it was in the very beginning? Seemed like I did. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the, the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So see guys, God created Adam with free will. He didn't make him a robot, right? He didn't make him some sort of you know, autom uh, automated being that's not able to have, have its own thought or, or decision-making. Again, in his, in his image, see, God makes choices, and, and he gave us the ability to do the same in his image, right? And, and it's important to point out, though, that although God gives us personal freedom, we're not free from the, from the repercussions of that, right? Um, just, you know, like Adam, he had the freedom to... to, to he was told not to do it, but he still was able to do it. And, and he wasn't free of, of the repercussions of, of eating that fruit. We're not free from the repercussions of the choices that we make in exercising our freedoms. Far too many people think uh, that they should be able to do anything they want and suffer no consequences, but that's just silly. Of course there are consequences to the choices that we make. Humans have the capacity to consider consequences and to, to make decisions accordingly, right? When we go about making a choice, we know that there's gonna be some fallout on this side of it or some benefit or blessing on, on this side and we make our decision based on sort of that ratio, right? Um, but we have the capacity to consider, uh, to consider our consequences. See, the only, the only restriction that God gave Adam was for his own protection, but the fact is God gave him a choice. All right, so we've made the case for life and liberty, but let's, let's consider that, that other phrase, pursuit of happiness. See, the, the Bible is full of stories that remind us that God's intent for us is to have a, a joyful life, right? Now, the pursuit of happiness is talking about joy, not meaninglessness. Now, bear with me. I'm not, this isn't some prosperity gospel here. Bear with me on this. Um, in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I, I say it again, rejoice. Now, when the founding fathers wrote that phrase, they, that phrase, pursuit of happiness, they were talking about seeking a life of fulfillment, right, and, and contentment and self-worth, and dignity, and community. <clears throat> but notice, guys, there is, this is a guarantee of, of the right to pursue happiness, not to achieve happiness. Right? That's an important thing for us to understand. 
But again, a lot of people seem to believe that they are entitled to the end result, to the happiness part. Pursuing happiness, though, does not mean pursuing your own desires at the expense of others. And it certainly doesn't mean pursuing your own desires that are at odds with God's way. Pursuit of happiness is, is not chasing pleasure and materialism and, and humanism. It's, it's, it's happiness defined by our creator. In Psalm 146, I don't have slides for these, but in Psalm 146.5, it says, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose help is in the Lord. That's happiness. Proverbs 3.13 says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Guys, that's happiness. That's that joy that he's talking about. We're talking about a, a, a state of mind, right? Not just a momentary thing, not just a, a momentary mood that, that, that we, we go through, but a, a complete state of mind and, and heart. Being created in the image of God is a, uh, it really is a, a blessing to all of, of humanity and defines our purpose for being here. And that brings us to our third point here, <clears throat> which is Imago Day gives us a, a definite purpose in life, to love God and others and ourselves. Now, um, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live, um, to, to, to be healthy and whole spiritually, and healthy and whole relationally and, and emotionally as well. Right? We don't want to just get part of this right, but, but all of it. Now, in, in Matthew 22, this says, it starts at 37, but let me start back here at 36. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So when we, when we take a look at this, these are the three things that, that, you know, um, that we want to be able to do. This is, let's start off with, with loving yourself. This is talking about emotional health, right? Loving yourself is seeing yourself like God sees you. No more, no less. So you have value because you were created in his image. No matter how you look, no matter what you've done, and no matter what other people say about you or, or how they label you or describe you. In Luke 12, 6 through 7, it says, What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. See, guys, it's seeing, that, that it's seeing the value that God himself assigned to you and that that value that he's assigned has nothing to do with what the world says is valuable. <clears throat> but being created in the image of God also means that we love others. And loving others is talking, that's our, that's our relational health, okay? Loving others is putting them above yourself and actively working for their good, 
right? Not just our own, working for their good. And, and this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hope, uh, hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, guys, our world likes to throw the word love around with lots of definitions that aren't, uh, that aren't, aren't biblical, that aren't this, right? The world has a lot of definitions for love that, that aren't the same as, as that. But that's the way that the, that the creator of the universe defines it. In Romans 12, 9 through 10, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. See, guys, we are called to hate what is wrong. That's what God says. So hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. But you know what? This concept is completely at odds with what we see in our world right now, isn't it? There's this huge push for tribalism in our world, the, the, the continual calls for conflict and, and friction. Now, interestingly, here we are in what some people call Pride Month, right? Now, I don't agree with the principles or lifestyle that it represents, and for reasons that come directly from God's word, which we learned last week is, is trustworthy on the subject of sin and, and homosexuality, uh, excuse me, human sexuality and everything else. And we'll dive into to what sin is next week. But what we've seen through the expression of Pride Month from both sides of the aisle is this kind of open season on, on nastiness and, and antagonism. And believe me, that, that, this conflict, it's not just relegated to the, to the issues of abortion or pride. Guys, it's masks, it's vaccines, it's gas prices, it's guns, it's black, it's white, it's riots. And it goes on and on and on. There's so much of it. But that is completely at odds with what God says in, in 1 John 4. Again, I don't have a slide for it. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God, right? We saw that in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Guys, it is okay for us to hate sin. God tells us that. But I wonder, I wonder how we share the gospel with people we can't even have a conversation with. Ultimately, being created in the image of God gives us, give a, gives us purpose in loving God. And that's, that's our, our third part here. See, loving God is our spiritual health. Loving God is submitting our attitudes and our actions to him and letting Jesus fix what's wrong with us. Now, at the beginning of this message today, I, I said something, I, I told you that we might hear some things that make us feel like our, our attitudes and feelings are, are under attack. Um, when those things are, are biblical, then that feeling is the Holy Spirit convicting our, our hearts. 
And uh, this passage here in 1 John 5, 3 says, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Though it, it might feel uh, like it could be burdensome, right? Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now, a lot of these things that we've talked about um, these things that we hold on to so tightly, even after we hear God's heart on the matter, that, that, it, that it differs from ours, guys, that's conviction from the Holy Spirit. But those things, those things that we're convicted about, that's not our identity, guys. Those don't define us. Jesus died as a, as a perfect sacrifice so, so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be made clean, so that we can, can be a new creature, <clears throat> a new person with a, with, with a new life with God. Now, this idea of changing your position on some of these things um, and how you're, you're, you know, suddenly changing that to your position with your, your family and friends that can seem burdensome, but God is trustworthy and he says that doing things his way is not burdensome. Guys, loving God is our purpose. It means being in relationship with him and being in relationship with God is one that is full of joy where we experience, where we experience that fulfillment and that contentment and that self-worth and that dignity and the community. So as we close here today, if some of these things that we talked about feel at, at odds with your heart, if they seem um, at odds with conventional wisdom, I want to remind you that your feelings are, are not unique. The world that has been pouring into your mind since, since the, the day you were born, with the intention of derailing your pursuit of God, that world doesn't love you. The world doesn't even know what love is. The chaos that we see on the news um, every morning when we get up and, and we scroll through the internet or whatever, guys, that, be, that, that exists because of the pull of that world. So, you know, we might hear things like, you know, why can't you just let other people live their life the way that makes them happy? Um, I hope that you can see now that the happiness the world offers is the path to destruction and that real life, liberty, and pursuit of real happiness is found in, in being created by God in his image and being in relationship with him. You guys pray with me. Lord God, I, uh, I just want to lift you up this morning and um, praise you, Lord, for, uh, for creating us in your image, to, for setting us apart, for, for Lord, giving us um, uh, uh, a clearly defined purpose. And Lord, it is hard. The world is always, um, it's always after our, our hearts and it's, it tries to pull us off course. It tries to pull us off mission. And, um, you know, Lord, I, I know that sometimes we can be confused uh, because it, the, the world sometimes makes such a good case for, for the way that, that it explains things. But Lord, your case is so much better. It's solid. There is a case to be understood that your way is the best way and, uh, and, and it proves itself out. Lord, you are trustworthy. So I just, Lord, as, as we go 
away from here today and we, and we consider these things, if we felt convicted in our hearts, Lord, I just ask that you, um, that you uh, help us to have uh, conversations with people, to be able to find the, uh, the answers to our questions, Lord, that you would just speak to each of us uh, personally and, and help us to un- better understand your heart so that we can uh, grow closer to you, so we can live lives that glorify and honor you. Lord, we love you. Say this in Jesus' name. Amen.